0: What's going on everyone and welcome back to another episode of Along the Keel, a podcast bringing to you the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, brands, and people who are building their lives by the coastline. In this week's episode, I sit down with Lang from Deckhand Logbook, an app and a software helping bring the fishing industry into the 21st century. Through the use of electronic reporting, Deckhand Logbook is putting the power of technology directly into the hands of the fishermen giving them an easy-to-use platform that accurately tracks their trips, reports on valuable data, and in the long run, helps maintain a sustainable fishery. This was a fantastic episode, catching up with Lang and learning all about his experience in the fishery out in Alaska as a salmon fisherman, and getting to know his take on the industry as a whole. We also got to talk all about what it's like to be a multi-generational fisherman, and much, much more. So be sure to check us out on alongthekeel.com. Sign up for our newsletter, as well as subscribe to all of our social media. Give us a like, a share, and a follow. But if you could, take a quick moment right now and please give this podcast a five-star review. It means the world to me, and it helps more people like you learn more about guys like Lang and companies and brands and people and everything we stand for here at Along the Keel. So, with your support and your five-star review, you're helping grow this show. Not only that, but if you wouldn't mind sticking around towards the end, we always love filling you in on what's going on on Along the Keel's back end here and much, much more. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Along the Keel, episode number 7070 seven of the Along the Keel podcast featuring Deccan Logbook and Lang Solberg. I said, "How was your trip to Alaska?"
1: Um, it was. <clears throat> it was fine. I'm glad glad to be back home with my family. It was a bit of a. Uh, it was a bit of a of an ass kicker, actually. Uh, the weather was, was notorious. was notoriously bad every day. Um, seemed like, you know, when you're in the heat of the heat of the battle there, and you're running on not a lot of sleep and uh, trying to catch fish, it just was. Insult to injury when you'd wake up and come upstairs and it would be blowing and raining and foggy all over again. So yeah,
0: it, and is that, that that's just yeah we 24/7 had a good season last. Price
1: came up. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's based on openings and closures that the biologists uh, mandate for us on an ongoing basis. So uh, mm-hmm. on one hand, the biologists are watching uh, what what you call escapement. Uh, which is the number of fish that have passed through the fishing district and made it up the, sure. uh, up the rivers to spawn and, and uh, reproduce. And as long as those curves are being followed in a sustainable manner, then they give us fishing opportunity. And it's pretty much tide by tide. And um, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like really good reality TV. You're tuned into the radio all the time <laughs> uh, waiting for opening announcements and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's I really based on the on tides. It.
0: Now, what do the tides have to do with it? Because that's kind of an interesting, you know, I mean, like here in Rhode Island, right? You, they open the fishery and the fisheries open for, let's say, the bluefin fi- uh, fishery, the Atlantic bluefin. From what I know and from talking to my buddy Jake, who runs a charter on the Cape, you know, it's like the first few weeks of every month is when the fishery opens and then it closes. But that's it. It it cycles, right? Like this is throughout the year. So what's different about the fishery out there? And, and you're fishing for salmon, Right
1: yeah so um you know salmon are are an anadromous species, which means they they are born in the fresh water they migrate out to the salt water, spend most of their lives in the salt water, and then return to their native their native estuaries to to spawn mm-hmm. and then eventually eventually die so unlike a uh you know out here the a, a good example would be you know a, a halibut or crab fishery where the species doesn't migrate in the same way that sockeye do, um, and you can mm-hmm. you can operate a fishery that's based on quota, where you can you know have a prolonged season and sort of wait out the weather and go out and get your uh, allocation of, of of quota whenever you want. That doesn't really work for the salmon resource because salmon uh, swim swim by, <laughs> and they they they're heading right. really fast for their for their for their native river systems. And where I fish in Bristol Bay, I mean, um, it's the world's largest sockeye salmon fishery. It's also, um, you know, the largest sockeye salmon resource and run in general. And we're talking this year, uh, basically 65 million fish that swam uh, either in into our nets or underneath our boats, headed for their rivers in a matter of like four weeks. So um, they move in and out. Yeah, they move in and out based on uh, the tides, and there are certain regulations mm-hmm. that uh, dictate when the biologists can let us fish, having to do with the tide cycles uh, for, uh, for conservation reasons and other reasons. And uh, considering that they're anywhere from 18 to 26 or 27 foot tide swings, uh, a lot happens with that much water moving back and forth. So that's kind of why our lives revolve around the tides.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That's, that's insane to think about that. You guys are getting an eight foot tidal swing, you know, to put it in perspective for those that are listening, you know, what do you think? Typical spot, typical bay or area probably what, three feet? I mean, I know here in Narragansett Bay, that's what we usually get. So at least on the Eastern seaboard, here in that eight feet of tidal swing, I mean, that sounds like the Bay of Fundy, which is up in Nova Scotia. I mean, they're getting, and they get even more. I think they get 20 foot tidal swings.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, you may have missed, you may have misheard me. I, I, the, the tide swings are, are in that 20 foot range, um, 25 feet sometimes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Jesus. The, the eight foot, <clears throat> the eight foot tide swing would be more like what we get here in Washington state. Um, and, and yeah, I know maybe out where you guys are, um, and down in the lower latitudes, so uh, less than that, but, uh, yeah, you know, 20 plus foot tide change and the currents doing 3 or 4 knots and you're trying to fish and and navigate through chaos and mayhem all the while. It's uh it makes for an interesting interesting experience. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, good luck with that. I'll I'll stay here on the east coast while you <laughs> <laughs> you go out there, and uh, deal with that current and whatnot. I know just from you know another example here near Narragansett Bay, you get that outgoing tide with a with that southwest wind, the waves will just stack up, you know. So I can mm-hmm. only imagine a twenty foot tide with a little bit of wind would create for some pretty hectic navigation. So let me ask you that: like, how did you even get into fishing? You know, because it's a profession that, you know, a lot of people nowadays don't really know a lot about. So was this something that you kind of grew up about gr- grew up in? And then, you know, it's usually typically very generational. So, you know, how, how is your you know, entry into the commercial fishing world?
1: <clears throat> yeah. Good question. Um, the, the, the short of it is, uh, I'm a third generation fisherman. I married a fourth generation fisherman. Uh, we're, we're all about intergenerational, uh, fishing businesses here uh, in, in this family. Um, uh, my dad, uh, immigrated from Norway uh, when he was six years old with my grandfather and grandmother. And when they landed out here in Washington state, it was, it was fishing and logging that my grandpa immediately got involved with and, um, passed that down to my dad. And, uh, he, he passed it down to me. He was fishing. He spent his career fishing from, uh, you know, San Francisco area, Southern California, um, all the way up to uh, you know, Bering Sea and north around the corner, uh, fishing herring. Um, and since has has divested out of most of, most of those fisheries, uh, but has left me with uh, the Bristol Bay sockeye fishing business that that's still you know very valuable and the resource is very healthy and all that. Um, other fisheries haven't haven't been so lucky but you know there are uh, a lot of fishing businesses out here on the west coast that are that are still thriving and supporting supporting families uh my wife's side same same deal mm-hmm. uh you know california washington southeast alaska uh, and in farther north in each place uh you know there were investments in fisheries and so that's how we're a part of it uh, if i uh I, I yeah I have to give all credit to <laughs> to my my grandfather and my dad for uh, keeping up uh you know viable and and uh, uh, sustainable fishing businesses through all of the cycles of the industry you know whether it's biological cycles or or cycles in the marketplace not every year is an easy year I think every fisherman understands that and uh, I surely don't take mm-hmm. my involvement or, or you know don't take the big The big runs in a in a half decent price for granted because I've seen the the other side of that coin too, so.
0: Right, they go up, they go down. Like real estate, stock market, fishing industry is it follows the same kind of role. So obviously, commercial fishing has been your, you know it seems like it's been your main kind of gig for a while, but was, were you always, have you always been a commercial fisherman? Cause I know you've kind of dabbled in some other things as well. So what, what was the transition like from, you know, you, you're growing up, you see your grandfather who's from Norway, which is, you know, arguably a, a classic country to come from in terms of like a mariner, right? Someone, a seafarer, mm, I feel like yeah. Norway <laughs> just breeds them. Um, I, I might be uh, misspoken here, but I'm pretty sure Grunin's, uh, actually was first came over from Norway. Um, and then they established the American brand of, of Grunin's. but, um, you know, that's neither here nor there, uh, you know, you coming in and, you know, seeing your grandfather, your father fish, what was it that kind of motivated you to, to stick with it and continue that
1: generational thing? Um, gosh, That's like, that's like the, the fundamental question. (laughs) Yeah. Why? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Why, why, you know? Um, Look, when I was, when I was a a kid, uh, there were so many aspects of, of the industry that were just super romantic to me um, in, you know, in the truest sense of the word, like the smells, the sounds, you know, I loved, there's nothing better than falling to sleep as a kid, at least I can't do that really anymore unless one of my crewmen is on watch, but there's nothing better than falling, <laughs> falling asleep to, to the sound of a diesel, uh, rumbling, uh, underneath you. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing better than catching fish in good weather, um, making money when the sun's going down and everything's good. Um, you know, just, there was just a lot that, was sort of ingrained in my soul when I was, when I was that age, you, you know, some people might call it brainwashed and when I'm feeling down about the industry, I might call it that too, from time to time. But, um, yeah, you know, I, there's just, it was just a pure love, I guess, for, um, for the industry, for the, the, the products that it creates, you know, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly in, in the, the protein source that comes from the sea, um, uh, the, the environmental um uh advantages that go with uh harvesting protein from the sea as opposed to other uh sources of of protein i love the people of the industry um Mm -hmm. i don't know if i already said this but i love boats i just love boats like that's as simple as it gets you know Um, yeah i'm right there with you (laughs) yeah so so that's those are just some of the some of the you know real emotional reasons and you know there there are a lot of um you know, there are business reasons, too. As I got older and, and more educated and saw uh, my dad work through the trials and tribulations of the industry, um, you know, I, I began to, to appreciate a little bit better uh, what it actually takes to be solvent and, and to, to run an operation. and mm-hmm. um, and And that in itself is a challenge. And it was a challenge that I sort of was uh, motivated to accept, you know, how do you, how do you make money in the fishing business? It's it requires a lot of, a lot of creativity, um, you know, some skill, but mostly just grit. And, uh, that's, that's a, that's a fun, right. fun aspect of it for me too. So, um, yeah, that's probably a little long winded, but that's essentially the why I know my wife feels oh, the same way. I mean, I think- and, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you got. I think you nailed it. I mean, there is that sense of to sum it up into one word perfectly was is grit. You know, it's like those long arduous days on the boat, and, and I kind of understand it from a different level. Like I'm not a fisherman, but I am a captain, and so you know, you do have that similar kind of. I guess uh, there there is a similar livelihood there, right? It's like working on the water. There's something to be said about that, and mm-hmm. there's days when. <clears throat> You know, you're in eight footers and you're pitching and roll the whole time. And there's days where it's flat calm. And you look out the window and you're like, "Holy shit! I get paid to do this? Like, what do you? Yeah. How is this even possible?" Meanwhile, you see like yeah. you talk to other people who're banging away on the computer in this little, you know, five by five cubicle, right, all day long, and never get to see the sunlight because they go to work at you know before the sun goes up and they go to work when the sun's going down. So, you know, there's something to be said, but there's also a lot of a lot of you know parts of that that it does take that grit right there is that sense of like oh shit we really got to work hard for this you know because it, it's mm-hmm. not it's not exactly easy you know and i think it was funny when you mentioned um you know when you were a kid getting to fall asleep to a diesel and the rolling waves right because it's that sense it's like that shift where all of a sudden you're just pure enjoying and then all of a sudden you're kind of working through it And then you can look back and enjoy those moments. But you're the guy driving the boat, you know, like when I take my family (laughs) and friends out now, it's like, yeah, let's go on the boat. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go on the boat, you know, because I love taking people on the boat. But at the same time, I'm also the one that has to drive the boat, you know, so like everyone else can kind of just shut off, not have to worry about anything. And here I am like, oh, that's too close. Like, oh, that don't don't do that. Don't sit there. You know, it's like that whole juggle. So. I, I totally get it, but you know, you are a fisherman, but you've also you went to college for um, what was, it was marine affairs, correct, or something similar.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I went to uh, University of Washington out here in in uh, Seattle for uh, for a marine affairs master's degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and and that seems to have been very, you know, I guess kind of complements what you're doing now to some degree. So, you know, f- were you always a fisherman leading up into college? And then did you fish through college? And obviously you fish now, but there's this whole other lead time where, you know, you've created what is now and become a part of a deck and log book, right? Which is kind of why we're talking, not only to talk about the fishery, which is super important. Um, and I would like to touch upon, like you know, some like conservation aspects of different, you know, quotas and and so on and so forth to kind of give people a, I guess a bird's eye view and what this looks like and why Deccan logbook kind of fits in, you know, because the fishing industry seems largely to be misunderstood by quite a few people, you know, and it's like, how did that salmon get on my plate? I have no idea, but it tastes great, you know? So, you know, after graduating college and marine affairs, shout out virtual high five, because same here alumni. Um, what cool. was yeah, it that, cool. you know, kind <clears> of, <throat> made you pursue that you know uh, no having been a fisherman and then all and then all of a sudden transitioning into what is now deckhand
1: yeah um so yeah a lot a lot of a lot of questions there like to go so to go back one step i i I did fish all the way through college Uh, keep in mind you know bristol bay the bristol bay sockeye salmon fishery is a about a month and a half to two-month commitment every year so I was by no means fishing year round and making a, making a, uh, a career out of, um, you know, moving from one season to the next as, as many often mm-hmm. do here on the West coast. Um, Bristol Bay has been my, been my jam. And, uh, the, the nice thing about that is that the season is, is quick, uh, relatively speaking and, and, uh, can, can kind of get in there in June and, and, and work, work your tail off. And then, you know, by August, you're, you're home. Um, So that was a really nice uh, compliment to uh, my college years, undergrad and and uh, and my master's program. But there were a few years between undergrad and and the Marine Affairs program where I was uh, involved in other parts of the the industry. I I worked for a a marine distributor out here called uh, LFS Incorporated and was part of their uh, commercial sales Mm -hmm. team um, selling Selling mostly fishing gear to fishermen, uh, but also uh, managing wholesale accounts and um, doing some government sales and stuff. Uh, So I was always involved one way or the other. If I wasn't fishing, either through my education or or through other jobs that I had. Um, In 2018, I sort of, you know, thought I I, I'm still in my mid 20s. Um, I, I enjoy working in the industry i'm not sure if um, you know if i want to sort of stay in this chair that i'm in at the sales desk there you know there for for the entire my entire career and i figured I could still explore some things mm-hmm. since i had since i was still young and had had opportunity and so um, yeah went went to the UW and uh, uh, you know got a real fantastic introduction to um, a, a ton of People in the private sector, in uh, academia, and uh, public-private partnerships in, in Seattle, which you know many uh, here in the in the northwest fishing industry consider to be uh, you know kind of a gateway to Alaska in terms of uh, the size of the distant water fleet that's moored here in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, and and all of the all of the fish processing that is either managed from here or takes place here. So it was just really fun to be a part of that hub. Um, Especially given the fact that the UW is sort of an inter- integral part in many ways of the fishing industry. Um,
0: and now then, when you say not to interrupt, but when you say UW, yep. what is that referring to?
1: Sorry, uh, what, the so what
0: Washington. is the UW referring to? No, you're, university. Okay, cool. All right, that's what I figured. But yeah, all right.
1: Yep. So, um, and then yeah, when my when my uh, I, I wrote my thesis at the U at the UW University of Washington on. On an issue uh, related to permit policy in the Bristol Bay salmon fishery, and I was trying to uh, trying to explore um, and make a connection uh, between a, a particular policy and the market value of of um, salmon permits but that's you know that was my thesis, uh, and I had some other side interests, one of which was how do we get fishermen to um, you know use phones and tablets and the other uh, pieces of consumer technology that that we all carry around in our back pocket nowadays to, um, you know, advance the, advance the cause of, of collecting data on the water, um, you know, arming fishermen and the fishing industry with, with as much data as possible. Uh, And that was just a general interest of mine at the time, sort of by that definition and completely, you know, serendipitously uh, I was cruising the web. I think it was like Halloween night on uh in in like 2017 it might have been mm-hmm. and i'm down in grad school i'm by myself i'm just cruising the web looking at electronic logbook information and i found this product called deckhand and it, it uh i saw that it was based in australia and they were saying all the right things on the website that, that were in line with my interest then um you know along the lines of of Use deploying fishermen who are already out, out on the water to collect data um, for, the, for the, the betterment of the industry. And I, mm-hmm. I had like $6 or something of Skype credit left from some trip abroad <laughs> that I had taken. And I, and I Googled the time in Australia, I think in Adelaide, Australia, because that's where they were. And I thought, ah, oh, screw it. I'm going to give them a call. And, and um, the rest is kind of history. I gave them a call. Uh, they had gotten their mm-hmm. start uh, they had gotten their start in a couple of fisheries down in South Australia and were, uh, aiming for at that time, um, some, some uptake in New Zealand. And I sort of unashamedly said, Hey, you know, here's my background. Here are my experiences. I'm, I'm passionate about what you guys are doing. Uh, and I need a job. (laughs) So they were like, Oh, uh, we, you know, we, we realize that there's a lot of opportunity in the in the US would you like to uh sort of uh you know explore some of those opportunities on our behalf and and that's what I've been doing since since late in 2018 after I got out of grad school is uh leading uh the mm-hmm. business development efforts for uh the Deccan logbook so
0: right here in the US very cool very cool so when you kind of cuz it's a very interesting concept and to kind of from my understanding of it basically it's almost like a citizen science type product right so you're you're up, you're providing a software to fishermen fishermen are going out they're able to log their catches keep and, and, and track that data and not only are they getting the benefits of the data to know exactly how much they're catching you know what it is based on their itqs or in quotas and so on and so forth but you guys are also able to use that, utilize that data. And then, you know, from a scientific standpoint, kind of help bolster what the government is doing in terms of creating regulations and so on and so forth. Am I kind of on the ball with that or to some degree?
1: Yeah. Part, part of it. Um, is, and so I'll have to, let me, let me go back to square one in terms of, of what, what our, what our mission and charge is at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Look, you're not wrong by by any stretch on, on the notion that, that fishermen can, can utilize their data for, for other purposes beyond, um, you know, what they're required to collect for um, mm-hmm. different reporting, reporting mandates and things like that. Um, but first and foremost, we are an electronic logbook to, that, that we believe is, is the only logbook that puts fishermen first from a usability standpoint, um, you know, the, how smooth the software flows and all of that. Um, we're sort of the first logbook that puts fishermen first when fishermen um, here, especially in, in the, where the part of the world you are, have to respond to a, a new reporting requirement like, like the one that, that will be implemented on November 10th in the Greater Atlantic region. So in, uh, in South Australia, mm-hmm. in New Zealand, um, and, and now in the Greater Atlantic region. Um, Deccan Pro is an electronic logbook that that helps fishermen comply with electronic reporting uh, rules, but um, it, while that is the has been the the focus in terms of rolling the product out mm-hmm. to your earlier point uh, about things like citizen science and collecting additional data for other purposes, um, you know we really feel like uh, like fishermen's businesses the bo- their bottom lines. As well as, um, you know, again, arming fishermen with all sorts of different data they'd like to collect, maybe that their associations would like to collect. The sky's the limit in terms of what deckhand can do for fishermen uh, above and beyond satisfying a reporting mandate. Um, All the other um, logbooks that we see on the market are focused exclusively on on electronic reporting and and providing a solution for um, uh, for that that particular purpose. But, um, when you sort of put yourself in the brain of a fisherman, you know, reporting and filling out fish tickets and that, and, and doing the compliance related tasks are really only one of a hundred different things on a fisherman's mind when trying to run a boat, run a business, keep a crew safe, mm-hmm. uh, and, and bring catch on board. And that's what we're working toward. We, we want to be the, the, the easiest solution on the market to get fishermen compliant and good to go on the reporting side but we also want to focus on all those other things from a data collection standpoint that can make fishermen happy and make their lives easier
0: right and i can imagine you know your background in the bristol bay fishery and you know other fisheries that you've been in this is so you know like you're like you said before serendipitous right like you know exactly what a fisherman what's what's inside a fisherman's head you know, and we got connected through, uh, Nikki Strout from rugged seas and her husband right. Taylor, and, you know, right. he's up in Alaska too fishing. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're working with and you're networking with these guys. So it's, it's very much so it sounds like a boots on the ground approach. I mean, you know, we were kind of waiting on and doing this podcast because you were out in Alaska fishing, right? So if that's not, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, like, Lange is out there doing the thing. And then as a result, taking the information that he's getting and, you know, helping bolster what is now Deccan deckhand logbook. So, you know, I think what's interesting is how the fishing industry works, right? Me personally, I'm, I've never been too involved in the fishing industry. I've gone to, you know, uh, public forums and stuff like that before, you know, just from being associated with the University of Rhode Island, and then my grandfather was a Gloucesterman, uh, a sword fisherman, as well as a lobsterman. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to kind of learn more about it. And I'd be curious as if you, if you could kind of, I guess, introduce us into like fisheries one hundred and one, right? So, like from a fishing fisherman's perspective, but from also the perspective of, of you know you being in the industry like fisheries, right? How do they work? You have, you have protocols, you have ITQs. There's so many different ways to kind of go about it. And then where exactly does deckhand logbook kind of fit in? You know, because I think it's kind of interesting that people don't know exactly how that fish got on their plate, but there's so much regulation revolving around it to help make this fishery sustainable. So if you could like fill us in.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I, I I would typically uh, defer this to one of my uh, professors at the University of Washington with 30 plus years of experience in fisheries management, but I don't think I have the luxury of doing that uh, at this point. Fisheries um, <laughs> 101. <laughs> fisheries 101. I mean, I think the idea here is that fishing fishing businesses cannot exist if there's no resource. Uh, if there's no resource to fish, and and I think that's one of the uh, the biggest misconceptions in the general public is that the fishing industry, you know, has no regard for the long-term health and sustainability of the resource. Well, I mean, that would be that would be you know, that, that would be the industry shooting itself in the foot if it had no regard for the long-term sustainability of the resource. Now, fishermen mm-hmm. are, are stewards of the environment. Um, fishermen are have direct interest in ensuring that their their sons and daughters and, and grandchildren. Uh, nieces and nephews will have the same or better access to the resource uh, than they have. And, and at least that's, that's how I feel. Um, you know, the story, the story hasn't always been uh, great uh, in, in fisheries management. I mean, Bristol Bay sockeye is a great example of, of uh, a fishery that was almost fished to the brink of, of extinction back in the mid-1900s when, uh, when Alaska wasn't yet a state. Uh, you had federal control uh, over an extremely distant and remote fishery, and and company-owned fish traps uh, sitting at the mouths of of these big rivers that um, could basically take whatever they needed and wanted. Um, well, that resource has rebounded, and we've had several years now of record-breaking returns, uh, thanks to uh, r- uh, rigorous and science-based management approaches. Uh, with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game and and universities and and other partners so um mm-hmm. so that's I guess from a high level that's just something important and super fundamental to keep in mind that uh fishermen want the resource to be in better shape when they've left it after they've left it you know uh for for future generations and um and so then uh, your, 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 one of your questions had to do with quotas and different types of management approaches. You know, um, I can name a couple of them that are most, uh, prevalent, uh, here in, in the U S and basically, you, you know, you have state managed fisheries and federally managed fisheries, state managed fisheries, mm-hmm. uh, like, like the salmon fishery in Alaska is, uh, and I, and I'm speaking just for Alaska, not necessarily for, for the other states, but, uh, Alaska salmon fisheries sure. are, uh, they're, they're managed on a limited entry, uh, permitting system. So in Bristol Bay, there are 1,863 limited entry permits available on, on an open market, uh, for someone to own, sell or purchase essentially the right to access the resource and, and harvest it commercially. Um. Because mm-hmm. the, the the number of permits is limited to that quantity, there the value of those permits rise rises and falls depending on the health of the of the of the industry. And by that I mean, uh, how the how the market is looking, how the how the biological resource is looking, other external factors that may impact the the value of of, of the fishery. You know, just like the real estate market, when things are really good, uh, and 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 The winds are blowing in the in the direction that favors high uh real estate prices well sort of the same thing in the fishery permit prices Mm -hmm. boat prices will be high but if something has collapsed if a market has collapsed if farmed salmon is out competing us if if the run has failed uh then those values uh those values can can decline so um the permit system in, in that way is, it, it creates a, a derby fishery where um, each opening, each fishing period is sort of a shotgun start, and we, you know, fish, fish, fish mm-hmm. until the period closes, the numbers uh, of the harvest numbers, the escapement numbers, and everything is sort of reassessed, and biologists will give us another uh, sort of shotgun start on the next tide or the next day, as long as... As long as things are looking right. uh, to be uh, on a sustainable trajectory, so that's one way uh, to to uh, you know give the general population access to to a to a resource. Quotas, of course, are yeah. uh, are another are another way that that we uh, that we control access to fisheries. Um, you know, quotas are you know a quota is a is a is a pie. And that the size of that pie is is determined um, through through things like stock assessments uh, that NOAA uh, and universities and other partners do um, on an annual basis, or you know maybe once every handful of years. Kind of depends on the fishery. The size of the pie is determined by the by the people who know best, the scientists. And then mm-hmm. depending on uh, what size of a slice of that pie you own. Uh, you have a right to go to go harvest up to the cap that uh, that that slice of pie affords you in uh usually numbers of pounds you know uh, mm-hmm. and and quotas do a lot for for the industry you know they they make the industry safer so instead of a derby style fishery that the salmon fisheries operate under, where you sort of got to go when it 's time to go, quota fisheries right. allow you to to uh, you know, have a predetermined right to a certain uh, slice of the pie, and if the weather's bad, you can stay tied up. You can go get it when the weather's better. Um, if the if the species right. is uh, is not necessarily super high quality at this particular time of the year, you can wait, and you can go harvest. Uh, you know, uh, at a different time when when maybe the species is higher quality, you can you can take your time harvesting the, the resource, which which translates into better sort of shelf quality, uh, after the point of delivery. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, a lot of fisheries in the States in the past, you know, 70 years, uh, 50 years have, have gone from sort of the old way of the, of the Derby style fishery, uh, just controlled with some other sort of limited access framework in place to a a quota-based system, which seems to, seems to mostly work, at least from my vantage point. But uh, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know, I know out in the Northeast, you know, a lot, a lot of States, a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of stocks, um, the road has been, has been uh, difficult through, through some of those early years of tra- transitioning into, into uh, federal management and transitioning into quota systems. I don't know a lot about, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what, what fishermen on the East Coast have have gone through, but uh, on the West Coast, you know, comparing and contrasting the way, say, the salmon fishery is managed versus the way the Bering Sea crab and, hal- and Gulf of Alaska halibut fishery is managed, very different approaches, uh, and and uh, and you know, meaningful and useful and uh, just possible for, uh, based on different reasons that that make it such depending on the type of fishery and species. So
0: right, right. Yeah, and it's it's super interesting. There's so many different ways to kind of, you know, cut that pie up, right? In different ways to approach it, and attack it. And you know, I, the, when I first learned about derby fishing, I think I was in I don't know, one, a fisheries course and all of a sudden he sh- puts up this video and these these guys just you know, the shotgun start, like you said, in, you know, in Alaska for, for salmon, you know, and what's interesting is, and I could be wrong about the exact details on it, but he also mentioned that, you know, a lot of the things in Alaska were super highly regulated. And, you know, for instance, the length of the vessel would be regulated. So what guys would do is they'd get, you know, just, they'd make their vessels wider. Right. And they kind of, work the system a little bit to some degree, but stay within the regulations. But it was just interesting how almost the regulations would almost to some to to some degree dictate how the fishermen would actually go ahead and go catch those fish, right? Whether it was through entrainment, entrament, entrapment, many different modes of fishing. And you know, here on the east coast where the fisheries have been kind of they've just been around longer, right? I mean you step foot on Plymouth Rock. And from that moment on, the United States has been fishing, right? It's just been a thing. I mean, they say on the Cape, like you could walk across the backs of cod because there is so many cod there. Obviously that's not true, but you know, even in every single household, there's, there's a golden cod, right? If you go to the Cape. So fisheries here have been so ingrained in our society. And it's interesting when you know, the government tries to come in and do some regulations because there's so many different types of species here in the Northeast, but there's also so many different states and trains of thought and modes of fishing. And it's just learning about it was so eye-opening, you know, and how to manage something that is just so dynamic and technical. So I can only imagine when it comes to Deccan Logbook, the intricacies that have to go into this because you guys are pulling data from, not only the fisherman's standpoint, but also all these different states and what's going on and the regulations that have to be inputted. So how do you guys deal with an area like Alaska, which is massive, right? And really you have a state managing, you know, an area that fish don't move all that far, right? Versus here in New England, you have five states that fish are moving across borders on an hourly basis, right? I mean, you can go, a striper can fit swim from Connecticut to Rhode Island to Massachusetts within a few days, right? So how does that kind of work into how you guys are going about making Deccan Logbook usable for all states and all fisheries?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, Luckily, you know, the... Folks out of the Northeast have done a lot of that thinking for us, uh, which is one of the reasons we're, uh, we're going to market in the Northeast, first and foremost, as an electronic reporting tool. Um, the folks at, at Garfo, uh, to me, seem to be you know, among the most progressive when it comes to putting in place a framework that third-party vendors like us can, can plug into fair, fairly, fairly easily. Um, you know, we're provided with species lists with all of the gear codes, with the permit numbers and all these sorts of things that make it so we can actually build a product that's going to um, be suitable uh, for a for fisherman uh, anywhere in, in, in the Garfo Federal Waters region. Um, and, and that's what we're going to market with currently is, is the solution for federally permitted fishermen who will have to report under this new rule. You, but you you raise a very good point about the states, you know, and and there are thousands of fishermen that that uh, harvest resources inside state waters, and uh, there are a lot of jurisdictions and states uh, in the mid Atlantic and, and New England areas. Um, the The Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission and and uh, data warehouses like uh, ACCSP, uh, Atlantic Coastal Cooperative Statistical Program, I think I've got that right, um, have have really. So I believe, to us, yeah. as, as far <laughs> as as far as we can tell, have uh, you know done a good job of sort of homogenizing the way data flows from vessel to whatever endpoint is required uh, for for fishermen to su- successfully get a report from point A to point B. So as a vendor, as a software provider, we can. We can just, you know, as long as we make sure Deckhand plugs into those endpoints, uh, the correct endpoints, then we can we can uh, sell Deccan to any gear type, any species, any fishermen uh, up and down, up and down the eastern seaboard. But mm-hmm. to be clear, um, you know, currently our, our uh, solution is a solution for federally permitted fishermen. Uh, you know, we hope to be we hope to be uh, plugged into the state side of things, the ACCSP side of things before too long. But zooming out. To, to ten thousand feet on this a little bit more, I mean this is the hard thing, and this frankly is what has driven other uh, other companies away from trying to get into the electronic logbook business. Um, it is It is really, really hard to to design a product for uh, design a, a global product, frankly, because you know our origins are in Australia and New Zealand for dozens uh, if not hundreds or thousands of species tens of thousands of fishermen uh dozens to hundreds of, of regulatory jurisdictions and um, uh, data systems ranging from modernized in in their entirety to archaic it's really really difficult um and we we recognize mm-hmm. this pretty early on you know when when it was when i came on board uh it was very quickly uh, part of the 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 meat of the discussions that we were having that, look, we need to figure out how to decouple if we can, the, the, the customization of, of our logbook, such that it can be deployed and tailored to uh, fisheries around the world without having to disrupt our entire development team. You know, our development team needs to work on the, Mm -hmm. the the chat, our development team needs to work on the chassis of the car. And we need to be able to very nimbly, uh, you know, Offer leather seats and different audio systems <laughs> uh, to different markets right. and 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 tastes of, of of different regions, while while allowing them to continue working on the fundamental pieces of the software. So, we uh, we developed some internal technology, uh, couple couple of, of things. One is called Catchflow, uh, and the other we call a composer, and. These two bits of technology that we've built in-house actually make it possible for us to deploy deckhand to say a fishing association or a fisherman uh, or or we can do it in-house uh, but basically tailor the software w- at, at a, on a technical level that isn't too difficult um, as compared to what our core development team uh, does mm-hmm. and, and we can and we can you know essentially take the deckhand chassis throw the the features and paint the paint job and the stereo and the leather seats on it kind of on this end and quickly deploy it, uh, to, to regions or fisheries or groups uh, that have specific needs. And that's probably the most exciting thing that, that I think we're, uh, we're really embarking on now. Um, we have, uh, we have some specific, some specific, uh, requests and requirements out in the Northeast specifically with, uh, Mm-hmm. With uh, different groups of people, and you know, whereas two, two, three years ago, I would have said, "Gosh, we're going to have to get a hold of the development team and see what this is going to cost and what kind of time this is going to take." Now I can say, uh, "Yeah, you know, we might be able to build that and have it out to you in a week." So, um, it's wow. pretty, uh, pretty it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the word, um, and I love the word "archaic," right? And and it's 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 interesting because you know so so for so many years the fishing industry you know with without having any you know true true being on a boat out fishing right me personally but having looked in and known a lot of people that are in the industry it is kind of archaic right up into to a certain point like you know obviously the bigger you know offshore fishing you know boats and there's they're definitely up going up on the technology side but then you come into a port like you know i'm gonna use galilee right here in rhode island which you were here i think a couple weeks ago or a few months ago maybe you know a lot of those guys are on boats that are you know 50 plus years old Um, you know, it's the, the technology on there isn't all that great. And, you know, you're, you're trying to plug in a system that is high, high, high on the tech technological side of things into a system that's rather archaic or antiquated. So, and then you're also kind of convincing a fisherman, like, Hey, no, this is going to help you with your business, you know? So, and I I don't know, I I feel like fishermen are notoriously kind of stubborn in in ways, you know, they, they keep wanting to want to do their own thing. Um, And as a younger generation of fishermen kind of come into the market, how are you kind of in a way positioning yourself to, or I should say brand yourself to be like, hey, we're here to help, you know, but then also there's the overcoming of the challenge of, man, this guy has, you know, he's still using Loran, right? And he hasn't turned on his sonar in (laughs) how many years, right? So how has that kind of been a challenge for you guys as you kind of come up?
1: Well, the challenge for us hasn't necessarily been on the technology side itself. You know, we've we've built a logbook uh for the past several years that is that is bar none the, the easiest piece of software, uh the most powerful piece of software, but also the most flexible uh for all technical abilities across across the map. Um mm-hmm. and, and Thanks to you know, thanks to our our founders and and uh, some of the early concepts that were uh, you know in in some cases, fishermen driven coming out of Australia, um, you know, the the product really is designed by and designed for for fishermen. But you're spot on in that um, the messaging piece and the branding piece is maybe um, you know the 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 bigger challenge, especially on my end as we're trying to roll out to. To to market in the Northeast, and we've wrestled with 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 that a lot, you know. And and at the end of the day, it really just comes down to to the simple notion that um, our logbook combines personal record keeping and electronic reporting in a in a uh, a design that's easy to use and quick to learn. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's no other way there's no other way to uh, to really to really drive to the point we want we want deckhand to be a part of the conversation on the dock we want the the language inside of deckhand to to speak to fishermen like uh like like deckhand were doing you know the the dock talk itself uh and and so we we kind of feel like combining a nice clean uh branding image with some of that um sort of re- refined rugged language that that clearly communicates that you know look we some of us might be you know, techies here and and uh, software developers, and but but there are some of us here too. That um, you know, it's our job to make sure that you understand this technology, um, that that the onboarding is clear, that the use of it is clear, and that it's going to be a product that that works with fishermen instead of works against fishermen um, in in flexible ways. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we could talk about this topic for hours because you know, branding and in messaging and. <laughs> uh is 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 con th- th- that art is constantly being re- re- refined but uh but you know you can't have the branding and the messaging if you don't know you know why why you're doing this as a company and and you know I'll just kind of say it again you know we're mm-hmm. we're doing this because we want uh we want happy fishermen's uh, healthy fishing businesses and sustainable fisheries for years to come and 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 you know it, it's on an iPad it's not a it's not a big piece of hardware that fishermen have to integrate into you know a vessel that's 50 plus years old it's a consumer piece of hardware uh, the right. Apple iPad that's that's running a piece of technology that that is definitely uh designed with fishermen's interests in mind so um it's it's I would say it's it's dang near a one size a one size fits all solution and and you know we've been surprised quite quite often um by some of those fishermen who are, shall we say, a little bit more tenured in the industry, um, yes, there's the there's <laughs> there's salty. some yeah there you know there's there's some reluctance, some stubbornness if you, if you want to call it that, some you know I would say mostly just you know a little bit of apprehension when it comes to taking on a, a new technology like this. But gosh, uh, we had we had a. a a couple of fishermen in in some other markets tell us that deckhand is actually a, a product that kept them from retiring. Uh, if you can imagine that, really, and, and yeah, and that's that's just a testament to uh, to the product and you know the product being able to respond to uh, or the, rather the product uh, helping fishermen to respond to to new regulations that you know otherwise might have forced them out of the business. So. Um, when we hear feedback right. like that, we, we, we think you know uh, that we're, we're doing our job. so:
0: Yeah, you get pretty fired up, I would imagine. And you know, throughout this whole conversation that we've had so far, and you know just from talking with you prior to this and you know knowing that you know, your interest in the fishing industry, and you know keep on mentioning sustainability, right? And I know we kind of briefly touched on it a little bit, but from a lot of people. You know, you see things on the news, you see things in documentaries, you know, there's, there was a documentary that came up, conspiracy, right? That was a big, you know, ooh, scary, right? Um, that I think misinterpret the fishing industry in a lot of ways, right? And right. It, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to this fishing industry in the United States, you know, I think there is a true separation of, you know, fishing in China and on the Chinese fleet versus yeah, fishing exactly. in the United States. With the yeah. United States fleet. Right. And I think, you, you know, seeing documentaries kind of paint a broad stroke and talking with guys like from the Viking village, um, you know, Austin over there who kind of runs the show and and seeing the passion behind that and, and having talked to a lot of fishermen, you know, like Taylor and Nikki and seeing their passion in the industry fishermen aren't out to kind of ravage the seas. That's not why they do it, right? They truly have a love for the ocean and they are the stewards of that environment. So, you know, as Deccan log put kind of plays a piece in this, you know, I'm curious as to like your opinion on the whole, I guess, kit and caboodle when it comes to these documentaries and when it comes to this negative talk on the fishing industry, when really, I mean, yeah, some of it exists, right? There was the Carlos Raphael here in New Bedford, you know, I think it was like four or five years ago. Right. But that right. was one yep. guy. Right. And, and to see one mm-hmm. guy kind of tarnish the industry, right. To some degree, it's sad because that's, that's just not the truth. So, you know, barring guys like Carlos Raphael, the cod father, which mm-hmm. I don't know, it's kind of a cool name, <laughs> not earned <laughs> for the right reason, but a cool name nonetheless. Um, you know seeing Deccan logbook like 5 years from now and then embedding sustainability into it like what's your whole take on this in the fishing industry 2021 and that the brand that it's kind of developed over the years
1: um well first you know news and documentaries need to be taken with with uh, the appropriately sized grains of salt you know i <laughs> i especially with with everything Large that's going range. on in the new yeah especially with everything that's going on in the news these days you know uh it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty tough to, uh, to read the news and and be all that excited about much. But um, (laughs) yeah, you know, I I watched Spiracy, my wife, Carly, and I uh, sat down on the couch one night a few months ago and thought, well, we better watch this. And, and uh, (laughs) I did this, you know, I, I kind of, I honestly, there, there was a lot in in that documentary that that upset me. Uh, that was just clearly major, broad, broad brushing the industry. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it, at the end of the at the end of the day, again, um, you, you take it with a grain of salt. And and if you, if you can, you separate out the broad strokes from from the more refined ones that that uh, actually acknowledge. You know, as you as you pointed to uh, in your question, you know, in this country. The fact that there are uh, tens of thousands of really hard working people who are you know, many of whom are multi generational like us, uh, many of whom aren't, but all uh, who all share a, a common goal and purpose, which is to uh, keep this resource healthy and sustainable for their own profit, because <laughs> that's what it takes, mm-hmm. but also for future future generations. I I see I see the evolution of our branding and uh, our. Our image and our our participation in, in the in the fishing industry is is one that is super super innovative because of the fact that we listen directly to fishermen uh, and and their needs surrounding you know those very questions of sustainability and how to, how to keep a profitable, profitable business in this industry. You know, there are a ton of things that we can build into deckhand that are going to enhance and increase fishermen's bottom lines, um, help ensure their futures with all of the existential threats they face. Um, Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, we want to pair, pair that, uh, that innovation that's tied directly to the industry with, um, you know, we actually have it as a, as a, as an internal company value that we're going to, our lighthouse is quality, quality product. um, Period. You know, we want to pair industry driven innovation with a quality product with respect for the industry, with respect for the people who, uh, who have to go through these long days at sea uh, with salt running through their veins to make a living um, while providing a, a tool that you know, it, it. Look, if salt if salt's running through my veins, I guess you could say salt is is running through the uh, running through the deckhand code more more than more than we can express. And uh, uh, it's just all those all those things sort of colliding into a brand that is uh, refined and innovative, respectful and and uh, and salty for for the future uh, future of the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it and I love it and it's it's a it's a true testament to I think the fishing culture too, right? I mean you look at you look at fishing as a whole and it's probably one of the only industries that is generational. Like consistently generational. I can't really think of any other ones that are consistently generational except for maybe car dealerships. They have a funny way of being generational. I don't know why. But that's the fishing industry, (laughs) you know, right. It's weird. (laughs) I only know that because I I went, I went to school with a kid from high school and uh, he now runs the car dealership. His dad ran the car dealership and I don't know, it's funny, but, um, you know, you see this sometimes in in some cases, you know, a century worth of, of family who's just been, they've been living on one Island and fishing that coastline for over a hundred years you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. and it's wild, Mm -hmm. right? And even if they're not continually fishing, they're still in the industry in some way. Maybe they're, you know, on the docks, maybe they're building boats or servicing motors or or whatever that be, right? And, you know, I just find that to be a testament to the sustainability aspect in fishing, right? Why would fishermen want to put themselves out of business if their entire family has been fishing for over a hundred plus years, right?
1: yeah exactly exactly and (laughs) and you know and and now as compared to the grandfather or the great grandfather of that fisherman today that's still on that island or that stretch of coastline we have we have some we have some tools in our tool belt now that 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 really uh make it so it would be (laughs) it would be really hard to, to to backtrack at this point i feel of course we have we have uh existential threats like like climate change and and uh different things impacting the way stocks move and and uh that sort of thing but with things like Deccan logbook with uh, some of the management tools we have and some of the science um we're, we're more armed today than we ever were to ensure that that those families that have been doing this for hundreds if not thousands of years uh can can continue Mm -hmm. to do so. And it's, it's exciting to sort of, I mean, there aren't many, to me, it doesn't seem like there are all that many companies uh, in the private sector like we are in, in what I call the, the, the fish tech space when it comes to uh, data collection. I mean, you have the, you have the electronics industry, Marine electronics industry, you know, you have mm-hmm. elect- electronic monitoring and, and um, uh, electronic reporting really becoming a, a huge part of the discussion in in recent years. And and I think that that's, that sector is really starting to evolve. I see it as like one big beast that has many arms and many legs, and uh, maybe they're not all connected quite yet, but the tools are there. The tools are emerging. They're becoming better, more powerful, easier to use. and uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit in terms of uh, really pairing that multi generational, um, uh, you know, longevity of the industry with with some of the best tools we've ever had to to keep it going forward. So,
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think as the industry continues on and more and more, you know, of the younger generation kind of steps in place of those who've been in it for you know decades and decades, you're going to start to see more and more of that technology evolve. Right. And that's kind of how it all Mm -hmm. starts and, and things get better with evolution. So, well, you know, it's been great being able to talk with you today about deckhand and, you know, where can kind of people get to learn more, where can they, you know, tune in, check it out, follow along, so on, so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. So we are uh, live on the app store for iPad. Um, you can, uh, Grab your iPad with uh, Wi-Fi and cellular capability. You got to have the cellular in there, not because you need a cell plan, but because the cellular iPads have the GPS in them, and the Wi-Fi only mm-hmm. uh, iPad does not. So uh, go out and get an iPad, or grab your Wi-Fi cellular iPad. Go to the App Store, search for Deckhand Pro, and uh, download it for free. If you're uh, if you're a federally permitted fisherman in the Garfo region that uh, is already sending reports or uh, you need, you know, if you need to start sending reports uh, based on the November 10th uh, rule, the uh, the Garfo uh, reporting module is available as an in-app purchase. Uh, we have a great you know website for uh, more information: uh, deckhandlogbook.com. We have a page set up there specifically for the Garfo market uh, for Garfo fishermen. You'll see it at the top of the page. We're also pretty active on social media, uh, Twitter instagram facebook uh and you'll see you'll that that's probably the best place to keep tabs on what we're up to um we are doing a bunch of webinars for fishermen uh come one come all uh in the Garfield mm-hmm. region who want to get acquainted with the with the software i think our next webinar is on thursday september 16th at 5 p.m eastern there's another one on tuesday september 28th at 7 p.m eastern and we have more dates uh in our quiver that we'll announce so um and, uh, you know, we'll, quite we'll a probably bit going see on. you out there. Yeah, quite a bit going on. We'll probably see you out there again. Uh, uh, we like walking the docks and talking to fishermen and talking to the industry and, uh, yeah, uh, lots of ways to get in touch with us, um, and follow what we're doing. So
0: awesome. Well, Lang, Hey, nice meeting you. Great to talk with you. And, uh, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you zach really appreciate the opportunity and uh good luck good luck uh towing boats and and cleaning up after that storm
0: thank you guys for tuning into this episode of along the keel and big shout out to the folks over at rugged seas nikki and taylor you guys are awesome when it comes to connecting people and they were the people behind connecting Lang and I to have this podcast. So, the the cycle continues as I say and what I have come to find in the podcasting world is when you meet one person, you tend to meet about five more, and that's kind of the beauty of it all. I very rarely go out and seek guests. The guests kind of come to me. So, with that, I really appreciate you guys tuning into this episode. I know the episodes have been a little bit infrequent this summer. Um, They will be getting more consistent as we go into the fall. We have an awesome scheduled lineup of people for this October, and this podcast was a great podcast to kick us off into the fall season because it's no longer summer. Although we're constantly earning our summers every single day, it is no longer summer. We are earning our falls, and we're going to earn our winters, and then spring, and then back to summer because that's what we're all here for with along the keel uh, kind of growing and and becoming more than just a podcast we're going to be launching a new website come mid october i hope you guys stick around for that it's going to be super cool and i would love to have you guys a part of it so please sign up for our newsletter and subscribe to it because we're going to be doing a special launch a soft launch and a pre-launch for those who are on the newsletter and then it will go into a full launch and everyone can see the website but we got a lot of unique stuff coming. Um, it's gonna be very, very cool, and I can't wait to tell you all about it as the episodes get closer and closer to the October launch day. I don't have a date yet for it, but it will be coming, and it will be coming very soon. So with that, thank you guys for tuning into this episode, episode number 70, featuring Lang from Deckhand Logbook, and I'm very excited to have the next episode, episode number 71, with the deep apparel guys down here on the cockpit of the tough guy, a 41 foot West Mac. I'm sorry, a 46 foot West Mac. You sit down, we chop it up. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on Waypoint TV. It's going to be one of the first full length in-person podcasts that we do here on along the keel. So with that, hope you guys enjoy your day. As always work hard, do good, be incredible.